Shawa Evans. And I'm Stanley Wiggins. And this is Black, Black Hipster, Hipster, where we talk about Black pop culture, gay pop culture, Black gay pop culture, and, and sometimes, sometimes other, other shit. shit. Um, so Stanley, since the last episode, we have kind of um, upgraded this, right, to add in Black gay pop culture. Yes. It was kind of, we were doing it anyway, mm-hmm. um, so we figured we should uh, mention it, we should discuss it, but um, I think also too is just to kind of let everybody know that yeah, you being gay and us talking about pop culture or gay culture is very much going to be, I guess, from your black hipster perspective. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we had to add that in for you guys. Um, and it, interestingly enough, it's very much related um, to something that I really do want to talk about today. Uh, so I was watching Wendy Williams, um, which I do almost every day if I'm home at the 10 o'clock hour. love Wendy. I do. But just the, just the, what is it called? When she gives out... Hot Topics. Hot Topics. No, no, no. It's not just Hot Topics. I I do like, she has really great guests. Okay. Um, Okay. She does have good guests and I do love watching them. And actually the day after Halloween, she had Billy Porter um, on the show. And so for anybody that doesn't know, Billy Porter is an actor. Um, He is a Tony winning actor. Yes. Um, yes, um, he's very much known for um, his role in Kinky Boots, and then more recently um, for playing Pray Tell in FX's Pose. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of people who just weren't uh, plugged into like the gay media, um, gay pop culture, um, that's where they were introduced to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was awesome. He was fabulous. Um, he was fantastic. And um, they were talking about an op-ed piece that he had written for Out Magazine, for Out.com. Yes. Um, have you read the, the piece? Yes, I did read the piece. I, um, it was a lot to digest. Yeah. It, it, it was because there's a lot going on in there. Um, he's talking about so many different subjects, which, by the way, guys, um, just so you know, we had an issue with one of our mics. Um, so Stanley and I are kind of sharing the mic a little. So we're sitting we're a close. lot closer close. than we normally yes. do. Uh-huh. But we're making it work. We we're are. making it work. Yes. If I'm yelling in your ear, just let me know. No, no, I you're know not. I'm pretty loud. You're not. You have no. to, yeah. Okay. Use good. that diaphragm. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. So back to the piece. I did just want to address it because, like I said, he is talking about a few things. So mm-hmm. first of all, for anybody who didn't read the piece, he is sort of revealing past sexual abuse in his life. And he's um, very explicitly detailing a time in his life where he was being, excuse me, sexually abused by his stepfather. And his mother did not know. And he, he talks about how it went on for years. And when he finally had the courage to tell his mother and what, you know, took, what transpired thereafter in his life and how he's trying to heal. And then also how this is all sort of related to the Me Too movement and the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and Bill Cosby and Matt Lauer. And we can go on and on with that list. So I'll just stop it right there. (laughs) But yeah, it was a very interesting piece. I didn't think it was as explicit as he kind of sort of disclaims it to be at the beginning because he says, you know, disclaimer, this is not for the reader's comfort. Well, well, sorry to interrupt, but I know for me, um, the moment where he, you know, he mentions that he was abused and then, um, I guess I'm going to say it, when he talks about how he was 
made to give his um, stepfather oral sex. The, you can the say language. what he said. He said that he got his face fucked. Well, yeah, but then he also says face fucked, but then he talks about what beer can of a... Yeah, he describes Yeah, Coke it. can of a girthy dick. Yeah. yeah. There's some description there, and I think you... That's a little... Um, it made me, you know, clutch my pearls a bit. You know, just just a little. You're such a Southern boy. <laughs> but... Uh, I didn't think it was the most well-written piece. No, it <laughs> was not. As a writer. It was not. I'm going to always look at those kinds of things. But I do think that it's a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that he told it. It's something I think we were kind of talking a little bit about a few weeks ago of course, with the Brent Kavanaugh hearings and everything. And I, w- I think I was telling someone that story, too, about the boy coming up to me in the cafe and then this other guy kind of, like, nudging his car towards me mm-hmm. like he wanted to date me. And I was just like... And, and the, the thought in my mind, it did kind of go back to these hearings and Me Too and Time's Up and all these things that are going on because in my mind, whenever I'm approached by a man or a boy in this very inappropriate way, I'm always sort of thinking, who the fuck taught you to do this? Where did you learn this behavior? This is how you approach a woman. This is how you approach a woman in the street that you don't know who is a stranger that you are either attempting to get to know or attempting to work with in some capacity. Who, where did you learn this very shitty way of being and interacting you, with women? What do you think? Because I think a lot of people have touched on that. Your question of, you know, where do you learn that? And I think it's so ingrained in our society, just how men and women relate to one another, how they interact with one, with one another. So you could have, you know, some a woman who is, you know, a, a feminist or a woman who's very, very strong mm-hmm. in teaching her son's. Uh, to respect women, I'm pretty sure they see just with their friends and, you know, at school and at work, it's a different type of environment. You know, they're getting, I think, sometimes the exact opposite of what they're taught at home, you know, if they're even taught those things. Wait, what do you mean that, in in other words, that the influences are coming from multiple places? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, even when we were young and we're in the club and just a small thing, how guys approach girls in the club Mm -hmm. and you think, you know, a girl is dancing with her friends and then a guy just comes up behind her and starts grinding on her. Or a girl is walking through the club and they're grabbing, they're just grabbing. Yeah. And your arm, your shoulder, putting their hands through your hair. Exactly. And that seems to be an accepted interaction or behavior by both men and women. I think, a lot of people, both men and women, sometimes don't think anything's wrong with that. They mm-hmm. think, oh, that's just guys. That's just how they are. And guys are thinking, this is how you get the girl. You know, you have those shy guys standing on the sidelines. They see guys doing those and things. And then they start doing it. And they it. start, yeah. And it's unfortunate, too, because, yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while because we don't go clubbing anymore because we're getting a lot older. But, <laughs> yeah, and when you're the woman that doesn't accept that, when you're the woman that, you know, shirks the guy off and she's like, don't do that. Don't grab me like that. You don't know me. Now you're crazy. Now you're the crazy bitch at the club. Mm-hmm. And and then they're upset and now it's a confrontation and then you are faced with, okay, am I going to have this confrontation? Am I going to leave? Am I going to now be in danger? Is this a physical threat Yeah. now to my being? Is there a sexual threat now? It's crazy. Yeah, and, and I think a part of that is 
you know, but I, I remember reading somewhere before, and I, I've, I've said this uh, a couple of times, like they did a poll. Or the, they sort of put a group of women in a room and said, what are you most afraid of? At first, they said to the men, what are you most afraid of mm -hmm. from a woman? And I rejection. think rejection. Yeah. And they asked um, the women the same question. What are you most afraid of from men? And the women said that he'll kill me. And some of the women said he'll rape. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say he'll rape me because I've seen that before. Yeah. And, and it's just interesting how, you know, you think nature versus nurture, you know, which one came first. And I think a lot of it has to do definitely men have testosterone, you know, science, science has proven that men for the most part have more testosterone in women. But that doesn't mean that the behavior, you know, the way it manifests in our behavior and all this sort of patriarchy is definitely something that our society has constructed and it needs to be broken down. And the, and the article that we were reading about um, Billy Porter, really, I mean, that took it a next, to a next level where there's abuse, there's sexual molestation, right. sexual molestation, I guess that doesn't need molestation. molestation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, doesn't need the sexual yeah, part. It's, it's, it's Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that brings into, you know, I think a lot of families and particularly, you know, he's a black man. Was he from the South? No, he was from Pittsburgh. But, you know, black families, you know, we tend to not talk about things as much. And, you know, things like, you know, abuse in the family is just like, well, the mother knew and then she decided to stay with her husband, you know, because she also felt like, you know, what are my options? But I think that happens quite a lot. With, with, with black people. Oh, for sure. Interestingly enough, he says in the article that he told his mother to stay. His mom um, was born with a disability. Um, he says she, she was born handicapped. And so he said, you know, what is she going to do? Uh, a woman with a disability who can't work with two mouths to feed? No. He's like, she needs her husband. Mm -hmm. But I think that that speaks volumes to exactly why the women who aren't told by their children to stay, who will stay because there's that need, that support. Uh, that is, I think a, a lot of it also, that's, it's kind of the same reason why a lot of black men don't come out to their families, right? Yeah. It's that needing the, the, that familial support. It's needing their families. It's needing the church um, versus, you know, white men who, will have the most disposable income. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gay white men have the most disposable income in the country. And w when they're well off or when they are okay and they don't necessarily need their families for that financial support, they're going to feel that freedom to be able to say, okay, well, whatever, if you're not with it, then bye. Yeah, it gives, and then they, they choose have more options, more options. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it's not any easier to be, you know, to, not have your family support, but it definitely helps if you are more financially sound. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy, but I'm pretty sure that's what a lot of women who find themselves in that position where their husband is found to be abusing their children and they stay, that the woman is a lot of times either abused herself or came from a background where she was abused as a child or she's in a position where she needs that support. Oh, definitely. And she can't go and do it on her own, or she doesn't believe that she can. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, because, it, I mean, it's very complex, and we're not experts in this field, but it's just Hell interesting. Hell no, we just two folks chat, two yeah. black hipsters chatting, chatting about something very intriguing that mm -hmm. we read. And that is, is not new under the sun and has been going on for 
well, since human beings were we were on this earth, and just mm-hmm. you know the the different how complex it is is, you know, women feel as though you know you it's sort of what is it Stockholm syndrome when yeah it it becomes sort of all you know like they talk about instances where people will sort of your family members may say you need to leave him because he's beating on you and then the woman may leave for a little bit and then she may go back to the man because you know there is that is it love i guess it is you can love someone who hurt you people who you love hurt you it's not healthy yeah. and it's dysfunction and i think you can sort of live in that it becomes all you know in this fear of the unknown of if i leave you know am i going to find someone i may have children or who's going to love me like this person and you know it it it's it's very very scary and i can't even imagine what he was going through as mm-hmm. a child and you know in the article he mentions going to see a therapist as an adult and he what did you say he kept calling it an affair was that was correct right right and the therapist the therapist finally corrected him in saying that a 7 year old child doesn't have an affair with a 50 year old man that's that's molestation and yeah he then he he finally was able to change his language which helps change your outlook yeah yeah definitely absolutely definitely. and he said speaking about it helps the healing right talking about it helps the healing uh one of the things that he said i just i pulled this up cuz i want to read this uh he's <laughs> Um, he says, um, my grandmother used to always say two things. One, always lead with love, but sometimes tough love is required. And two, some situations in life require a little cussing. So fuck mm-hmm. this shit. I ain't scared. <laughs> I love that. Uh-huh. I ain't terrified. I'm pissed. I'm enraged. And you should be too. We're on the precipice of a modern civil war. So it's time to stop taking a bag of popcorn to a gunfight. A modern civil war. That is scary. Very scary. And powerful. And I totally fucking understand exactly what he's saying. Here's my thing, though. Towards the end, he says, vote, bitches. (laughs) Um, He says, vote, bitches, while we still can. It's the only power we have. How do you feel about that? I know you're about to tell us. Yes, (laughs) because... Even that still, it doesn't make me feel yeah. better, right? It doesn't. It doesn't make me feel better. No. Look at look at what happens on voting days, yeah, right? Exactly. Super Tuesday. Look at what happens, and also sometimes we vote folks into power, and we think that they are going to be this big savior. And you know, I'm going to address this, Bill Fucking Clinton. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to even get into the nuances of all these different things about the Clinton Foundation. I just want to talk very much on the surface, this Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing, how he says decades later, he still would not apologize to this woman. Wow. He ruined her oh, life. Why? why would he? Why? He was asked, uh, I believe it was uh, in Vanity Fair or something, but he was asked by a reporter if, you know, he regretted this whole Monica Lewinsky scandal and if he would apologize to her. And he said, no, he would not. And I get it, right? You got to stick to your story. You said you didn't have relations with her. The way you define that is very different from the the rest of the country and the way we defined it clearly. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you completely ruined this woman's life, you ruined her Her livelihood, she will forever be the punchline. She will forever be the punchline. And he completely ruined her life. I know that this is a note 
that we feel passionate about, but we do have to take a quick break. So hold that thought and we will be right Right back. back. Okay, and we are back. Thanks for sticking in there with us. So during that quick break, I looked it up. That was a very quick break. So trust me, my research skills are on point. I looked it up and it was the it was an interview with the Today Show. And Clinton, he just, you know, stuck by he apologized to the world. Yes. So he felt like he did not need to give Monica Lewinsky a personal apology. He said he never talked to her after that. He never had a conversation about it with her after that. So I, I think know. it's yeah. I think a part of that I mean, you tell me, I think a part of that is because I wonder how much of Hillary, like how much it, you know, you're a wife of someone who cheated on you in a very public way. You're president. <laughs> Would you, I mean, it, she probably said, don't ever speak to this woman again. He probably did not want to apologize to her, but I'm pretty sure that probably had a little bit to do with it. Not even, not blaming this on her <clears throat> at all, but I wonder with all of this Me Too stuff, is she thinking about that? Is she thinking about but whether or not Bill Clinton owes her an apology. Yes, or I'm sure once she got old enough to really suss out all the noise of what happened, she was like, man, mm-hmm. this ruined my life. Yeah. He was the president. So who would not have, you know, taken the bait? But she was really young. too. She was really young. And at that yeah. point, you can't really assess what the damage would be if this thing were to ever unfold and it and then it did yeah and i'm pretty sure hillary was like never speak to that woman again because hillary had her own political agenda mm-hmm. and her own plans and keeping that uh communication open with monica Lewinsky would have possibly ruined yeah, hillary's plans because that it, that that whole saga that whole story it would have just continued it would have continued to get dragged through the media and this was before social media and, and, you know, there was no Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter, thankfully, yes. because that would have been crazy. Imagine if we had social media when this was happening. Yeah. Hillary it, probably would have never escaped that. You know, it is if we would have if we would have had the type of social media, the, the reporting, the instant sort of um, news that we get. She probably would have never that would have stayed Imagine with the her. memes. Oh, the memes oh, that would have been created. Oh, they would have been so good. So, but they would have been so bad. Monica yeah. Lewinsky, you definitely dodged a bullet with yeah. the meme era. Exactly. Thank God. Um, but yeah, I, I want to just kind of switch gears a little okay. bit. So um, kind of going back to Billy Porter, um, he was talking also about Pose. And Pose has been... Um, extended for a second season. Congratulations. Yes, which people are very excited about. And I thought the show was good. Like, we watched it. It had its moments where I was just like, "Mm, I would dabble with that or I'd go ahead and dabble with this. But that's just me. That's, you know, an opinion thing. I think overall it was a very good show. And I think the actors did a really good job. Um, They were very New York. Mm -hmm. They were very New York. Well, it's based in New York in the 80s, right? Right, yes. But that's what I'm saying. You know, sometimes shows will be based somewhere and you being the person from that place you're like nope we didn't talk like that or certain mm-hmm. things they missed the mark on certain things i think like blanca oh my god are some of the actors from probably they're from new york they're yes. probably born and raised yes okay. yes blanca sounds like 
a girl from the Bronx. Like it was like I mean specifically the Bronx. Like, she I sounds like my girl. niece Naye. I was okay. like, oh my God. Like her accent. And for me to say she had an accent is crazy because I'm from New York, so I typically don't hear New York accents unless you're from really? like Long Island or Staten Island. Okay. No. And we say Allen. So stuff <laughs> like that. But no. Um, typically I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever. And then someone else will point it out. Yeah. But Blanca had an accent and it was so Bronx. <laughs> it was, it was Bronx hood. Can, can you do a little bit of it? Like, can you, I want to hear, I no. want to hear the Bronx and no. the Brooklyn. No. Okay. Queen? No. Okay. I sound like me. I don't know what to tell y'all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, so, but the show had five transgender actors. I don't think we've ever seen that. No, I think it was the most. On any for series. any narrative show, yeah. A ever. cable series. Yes. FX and Ryan Murphy did that damn thing. Good for them. And he's always sort of been, you know, I'm I'm a fan so-so of his. He You do well, love you some Ryan Murphy shows. Well, but his shows, I think it's it's fair to say is he has a lot of holes in it. The plot development is questionable. Someone's in love one episode and then not in love the next, and you're like, Well, well what that happened? sounds like real life. Well, <laughs> But you know, you know, the character development is always a little questionable. But I mean, it, his stuff is exciting and it's shocking, and he does he does a very good job through like what is it, American Horror Story, mm-hmm. and he used to have Glee, and he used to back in the day, popular I think was his and um, oh Nip wow, Tuck. was he popular? And oh, I used to popular. love that show and Nip Tuck. And Nip that Tuck. was my show. Yeah, and he's he, diversity. I think has always been a a, a thing that has. You know, been and he's been involved in a lot of diversity. Women, people of color, mm-hmm. um, people who have um, do you call them disabilities? Disabilities. Disabilities. Yeah. I okay. think okay. one thing PC. that he does, and, and this is great. He he has a, an eye for talent. I think that his shows are strong because he has strong talent on them. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think he puts so so actors. I don't know. It, I I don't think he has them fill significant roles on a lot of his shows. Well, that's probably true. That's probably true. I will agree with you that even what you're saying, finding new talent, like right. those kids from Glee, or even working with um, sort of established actors. I mean, mm-hmm. American Horror Story. That was you had Jessica Lange, that's right, and Kathy Bates, and right, Angela, Angela Bassett. Bassett. <laughs> I love me some Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett, Black hipsters love you. Yeah. I think Black people. Period. Just love them some Angela Bassett. But yes, but Jessica Lange is amazing. Mm -hmm. And she's great on those American Horror Stories um, series. So, and he he puts her in every one for a reason. Yes. Uh, Billy Porter was talking about working across from her, um, just sitting in so Mm -hmm. that when they're doing, I guess, a monologue, they have someone to speak to. And um, he was just like, I'm getting my PhD right now. I'm just taking it all in. Um, I was like, she's amazing. So yeah, I she has it. like two Oscars, I think. She should. Yeah. <laughs> she absolutely should. But uh, I just want to kind of go down the list of the actors. So we have India Moore, who played Angel. And she was clearly, I think, the breakout. Uh, she eventually was signed with IMG Models and then also with WME, which is a talent agency. She's getting it right now. I mean, she's gorgeous. I hope she continues to be on pretty. the come up. Is she the one who is with um, the the gentleman who's married? She's his yeah. mistress? Yeah, oh, she okay. played Angel, the, the sex worker. Oh, oh, she's a sex worker? Yeah. Oh, wow. You didn't watch the whole series, No, did I haven't ya? seen ah. any episode. I've just seen That's one. how she meets him. 
Because he goes to pick up a, uh, a sex worker? Yes, but he's looking specifically for a transgender sex worker. Oh, well, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of revelation there. Okay. Then there's MJ Rodriguez, who plays Blanca, who, like I said, very, very Bronx in her mm-hmm. accent. Dominique Jackson, Electra Abundance. So the oh, mother, great mother of the House of Abundance. I loved her character. And I thought her acting was a little questionable at times and just because it didn't feel natural at times. Mm-hmm. However, just her persona, it was, oh man, I loved her. Yeah, I might've posted some stuff about her on my Instagram. Um, Haley Sahar, who plays Lulu, she's also of the House of Abundance. She's one of Electra's daughters. And then Angelica Ross, who plays Candy, Candy. also of the House of Abundance. Uh-huh. Um, she, ooh, she had them Angela Bassett arms. Oh, really? Oh, she looked good. In the one episode where they're talking about her not having the body because she doesn't have the breasts and she doesn't have the butt, and obviously this is something that exists in the transgender world, and in the ball scene, it was a yes. thing, right? So coming with, like, um, fish realness. Oh, wow. It's a thing, mm-hmm. and she just wants a little bit of it. So she gets injections eventually because she keeps ones? trying. Of course, bad oh. ones. Cause she ain't got no money. She yeah. goes to somebody's like basement motel or whatever. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. And too many girls are doing that. Yeah, and this nowadays. is the set in the 80s, right? Yeah, oh, right. they're still doing it. Yeah. It amazes me. But one of the one of the writers I know, are, and she's also directed the show, is Janet Monk who is um, a transgender um, sort of activist and writer. She had this book. She has this book, two books, one that I read, and I forget the title of it, and it was very good about her growing up in Hawaii and sort of her journey um, to discovering herself and um, identity, really. And she was interviewed by Oprah, I believe, and um, Ryan Murphy. She's working with him on this show, which is phenomenal, and I love the fact that he's, making an effort to not only create these shows that are about, you know, people who are, who we don't typically see on television, but also reaching out to those people who, who have lived those lives, who have lived, who have been involved in this world so that they can inform him and so he can portray them as, as, as accurately as possible. Or not, I mean, every transgender person or person of color or a woman doesn't have the same experiences, obviously, but I think it's good that he's sort of trying to find those stories and to try to keep them as true as possible. Yeah. I um, just looked up Janet Mock. I know Janet Mock. Um, so she has Redefining Realness. Let's see. Uh, Past the Mic, Millennial Feminism and Surpassing Certainty. Do you remember which one you read? I read the, <laughs> um, the first one, Redefining Realness. Redefining Realness. Yeah. Uh, My Path to Womanhood identity, love, and so much more. Yeah, I actually, I do know Janet Mock and I do know her work. I think it's it's amazing and it speaks to the way in which the world is changing on the positive front. So, you know, we started off this episode kind of talking a little bit more about the way in which we're, we're trying to bring about that positive change, but the fact that a lot of this stuff is still going on and how we're hoping that voting the right people into power uh, will kind of alleviate those issues. But um, my only thing is, you know, with this, I hope those actors are able to take these, like th- this identity of their identities into more than just transgender roles. That's my only thing with it. Yes. Because looking at their bodies of work, a lot of them, they do play 
transgender people in all these different shows and things that they've been in. So I'm just hoping, you know, is, are we going to see India more play a woman, not play a transgender woman? You know, not that we have to always keep defining, oh, there's women and then there's transgender women. Why can't we just call her a woman? (laughs) I think so. I think it's, I think it's, you know, in the beginning, you know, it's just starting and, and, you know, transgender issues are very much, um, I think need to be brought to light. And so you want to tell those stories. So whether you had Laverne Cox on Orange is the New Black Mm -hmm. and how she was in prison or jail, I'm sorry. And then um, she was at one point in solitary and she wasn't able to get her medication, you know, her, her estrogen. Right. And, you know, you, these are things that people go through. And I think eventually, and then she was on another show, which was canceled called Doubt, where she was um, a transgender um, lawyer. And it was the first role that a transgender person had had on, I think, primetime television. And then she was nominated for an Emmy. So I think it's important now that you they have that visibility. And I think eventually, hopefully, um, more um, transgender people will get roles where, like you're saying, they're playing real women. or the, Not real women, I'm sorry. Where they're playing um, men and women and they're not in a transgender role. Because right. you have, what is the other show? Um, Transparent. And right. there have been other actors who've been around for a, a, quite a long time who are transgender. Candace Kane and all of these people sort of paved the way and they had to struggle. So hopefully you see that influx of more talent. Yeah. And I understand too, like right now there are a lot of issues surrounding the transgender community and um, people are still being met with a lot of resistance and inequality. So I understand that it's like putting transgender actors and actresses in these roles and making sure to say that they're transgender also speaks to, you know, they always want to tie in some of those issues and some of these things and how to address them into those roles. So I do think that that makes sense. But I'm just saying it's like five years from now, we cannot still oh, be yeah. like, oh, so-and-so-and-so, transgender actors. She's like, okay, yeah. I, I would like to hope that we can get past this point. No, and I totally that, agree with you. Right, yeah. that we, you know, are smart and, smart enough and capable enough to have gotten past a lot of these issues of inequality. And I mean, I'm being hopelessly optimistic because we still aren't past so many of these issues for just women and, you know, the LGBT community in so many other ways. Mm -hmm. It's really fucking sad. It really is. It really is. Um, You know, I'm working on a project right now. I don't want to give too much away um because i haven't gotten funded to sh- funding to shoot it yet mm-hmm. so i don't want to like steal my project but it addresses all these different things but it's a comedy so okay. i'm hoping okay. yeah yeah i'm definitely hoping to try to get the funding so we can work on that because it's important right now mm-hmm. and it's a conversation that's being had so i think we need to just throw as many voices into that conversation as possible yeah, I think what you said to me, I love that you said that about as many voices, because I do think, you know, it, it's corny and it's lame, but we are on this earth together. And I think you can't get rid of, you know, transgender people. You can't get rid of black people. You can't get rid of, you know, Mexican people or any person. of. You can't get rid of any. We all need each other in order to survive. So I think it is important that we can all discuss our different experiences and, and also talk about things that bring us together. And it's just... I feel like that's the answer. It's funny, too, because it's like, why would you want to get rid of all these people 
everybody makes life so much better. Yeah, it would be quite boring. I Listen, think. if I had to go a whole year without Drag Race, I don't know what I'd do with myself, <laughs> right? But I didn't come up with Drag Queen or Queening, whatever the ism of it is. Listen, I didn't come up with it. But I just know that the first time I saw a fabulous drag queen, oh, I was hooked. <laughs> and I was like, that is creativity on a level that exactly. I could not fathom. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I'm so delighted that it has been brought to my world. Yes. Love yes. it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we got to close soon. But I want to end this by saying, don't you think Bob the drag queen would be perfect for kinky boots? I think so. Right? Who's playing, who's playing the role right now? Because I know at some point they had... I don't know. Yeah, but it doesn't even matter. <laughs> exactly. We want know. Bob, who we love, who is from... Um, Ru- who was the, one of the winners of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, sir. To play... Um, I don't even know the title character's name, and I've seen the movie. Ah, that's so funny. <laughs> but no, I mean, Bob sings, Bob dances... Bob comes in purse first. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, who better would play the role than Bob the drag queen? I think we in love the you, next. Bob. Yes, we do love Bob, but I absolutely do think that um, Bob the drag queen should be tapped um, for kinky boots. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> anyway, uh, while Stanley goes ahead and finds out all the characters from Kinky Boots' names, we're going to close out. Um, before we do that, you want to go ahead and plug or at least just share your handles? Yes, please follow me on Instagram, Standrick W. That's it, Standrick mm-hmm. W. There we go. And you can follow me as well at Always Fashion Week. You can also pick up a copy of The Joburg Juggle on Amazon. And look out for any projects we might have coming up. Again, if you feel so inclined to shoot us a quick note or you feel passionate about this episode or any others, email us at blackhipsterpodcast at gmail.com. Let's go ahead and take it out. Bye. Bye. Bye.